Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Blog Talk Radio. If I knew then what I know now. No- if I knew then what I know now. No, I wouldn't change much of anything anyhow. It was 50-50. And I won the coin toss When you danced with me At the Huntington's Waltz When you danced with me At the Huntington's Waltz When you danced with me At the Huntington's Waltz Hello everyone and thank you for tuning in to Help for HD Live. Help for HD Live is brought to you by Help for HD International and is made possible by our sponsors, Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. We're having a little bit of technical difficulties on our platform we use for the radio show, so bear with us if anything happens this morning. Um, Today we have two of my favorite people, the dream team couple, uh, Stacey Sargent and Terry Sargent on Help for HD Live. Um, as well as a little bit later, we're going to have Lenise Shortle. Um, Stacy and Terry's son, Corey, lived with juvenile Huntington's disease. Terry and Stacy fought for many things throughout his life, and they still fight to this day for individuals living with juvenile Huntington's disease as well as other childhood diseases. Lenise is a hospice nurse, and she's actually a pediatric hospice nurse, which is I'm very, very excited to talk to her today about her job. It must be the roughest, one of the hardest jobs in the world, but it sounds like she's an amazing person. Uh, we're glad to have all three of them on the show today. And let's jump right into the show. Welcome, Stacey and Terry. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start with Stacey. Um, and let's talk a little bit about Huntington, how Huntington's disease and juvenile Huntington's disease impacted your life. Um, it really turned our life upside down. Um, not knowing that Huntington's ran in Corey's uh, biological father's family, we had no idea what was going on for years. Um, all we knew is at that before his diagnosis was there had to be something going on, and we and it had to make we had to find out what it was so he could get better. And that was the mindset we were in. Um, after we got the diagnosis of Huntington's, um, we were in shock. Um, even me as a nurse, I'd never heard of juvenile Huntington's and only knew a little bit about the adult form. So it was um, going back to school all over again, just diving into research and and at first, my mindset was there's got to be something to make him better. And, of course, mm-hmm. there wasn't. You know, I even had family looking overseas um, for possible treatments or cures. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it really changed our mindset as to, okay, if we can't make him better, how, how are we going to deal with this? And it was to just make him as comfortable and happy as possible for what short time we were going to have left with him. Um, mm-hmm. All of our hopes and dreams of teaching him to drive a car and graduation, um, marriage, grandchildren, college, all those hopes and dreams just went out the window. Um, although we did get to see Corey graduate. So um, that was a huge milestone um, and almost a sense of accomplishment for yeah. all three of us. Um, it really it yeah. really changes your outlook on life. Um, I valued my time 
my personal time um, more than, than I think the average Joe does. Um, I learned to set limits in, with my work life and my personal life. And mm-hmm. almost like the spoon theory, you know, it's, I have so many spoons per day and work gets so many, Terry got so many, my daughter got so many, and Corey got the rest. Um, well, I, I always, I know a lot of our listeners obviously are very, very close to you and your family and where they know, they know Corey's story, but I, I'm always, when you told me about when Corey was a little boy, can we go back? Go back to that day when you didn't actually know about juvenile Huntington's disease and what you saw when he was a little boy. Um, well, Corey was born premature, as everyone knows, mm-hmm. um, by three months. So we were always told he would be developmentally delayed. And so, yes, when he started school, we saw some, that he was a little bit behind his peers. Um it wasn't until first grade that um, a student psychiatrist tried to tell us he was autistic. And we mm-hmm. knew that wasn't correct because Corey was the most loving child you could ever meet. He'd never met a stranger, um, had a hug for everyone he met. And, in fact, uh, Terry and I got called to the school once because it was a problem that he was hugging everyone. So then we had to teach him that, to ask people for a hug instead of just going up and hugging them. Um, after that, it was more, um, as far as the disease, he was walking on his tiptoes, but I could say something to him and correct him. Um, we'd go to therapies for speech and physical and all that. and It was almost like a roller coaster. He would get better for a little while, and then he would decline. And when he'd decline, it was almost worse than where he was before therapies. And it wasn't until he started um, having more speech problems and we noticed um, a facial group that we got really concerned. Mm. And then it was... After that, it was neurologist after neurologist trying to figure out what was wrong because he was losing weight. Um, The pediatrician couldn't figure it out and was putting him on all sorts of meds to help with reflux and his appetite. um, Then it just got to the point where he was falling all the time. And he just sort of, he'd fall and have this look on his face like, how did that happen? Um, and we'd just pull him up, and he'd start walking again, no problems. Yeah. Well, and I think something that shocked me is, um, if you could tell our listeners, I, how much did Corey weigh when they finally diagnosed him in his Corey age? Corey was 15 years old and only weighed 58 pounds. Unbelievable. And he was maybe four foot tall at that time. Mhm. Mm. He was well. He um, was nothing but skin and bones. Um. So Terry, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you in um to the show. Terry um is an amazing father and husband. I think he is, and I love being around Terry. He's I'm excited to go to Atlanta in a couple of weeks and hang with him. But um, Terry. Let's talk about everyone who knows you knows how far hard you and Stacy together fought for Corey in so many different ways. But can you tell our listeners what it was like caring for a child with JHD? Well, um, I don't know if many of the listeners know, but um, Corey is not my biological son. Uh, I adopted Corey and his uh, sister, Kristen. And, um, you know, in the beginning, before we got the diagnosis, it was a normal day life for all of us, in fact. And then as his health actually declined, we, as Stacy's mentioned, we sought help through doctors and therapists and this, that, and the other. And, um, you know, it actually, once we got the diagnosis, that 
is a day that I won't ever forget. You know, it's a it's a mirror image of uh, that comes into my mind more than once a week or once a day of when we got the diagnosis and how devastating it was. And at first, hearing the diagnosis, we really didn't understand what it was all about, as Stacy has mentioned. So we immediately became uh, just wholeheartedly self-educating as far as what Huntington's was, what we could do to treat this. And if there was no cure, it was very, you know, shocking to us. So we immediately went on the force of educating ourselves, um, educating everybody around us, uh, including the doctors that were caring for Corey and everything. So, I mean, to care for somebody with HD and having to understand what that was all about was a day-to-day battle, um, not only for us personally as his parents, but, you know, also battling the emotional side of, you know, what he might have been going through. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. You know, you have to learn to accept the fact that certain things aren't going to happen, and that's extremely hard. And, you know, you have times where you run into a closet and bury your face into a pillow and scream and yell. You know, not so anybody who's affected by this can hear you in the household. It's very um, it consumes you. It really does 100% consume you, and it's a daily, daily yeah. thing. Yeah, so. and 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 caring for Corey, I'm sure towards the end, um, it was very. It, it takes. I mean, you literally are one. He 100% depends on on you both. And every yes, way. as his health. Yes, absolutely. As his um, as the disease progressed and he went from being able to walk with braces, assistance of braces on his legs to being 100 percent wheelchair bound and then once and then 100 percent bed bound and on a feeding tube and, and all this, it got extremely taxing as far as um, what we could actually do, um, you know. We went, I don't know, five, six years before we took them on a vacation. And when he was, this was prior to diagnosis, and we took him down to Orlando and he had a wonderful time. And, you know, we did some things as a family and it was a really great time. And then it was all of a sudden there was no vacations, you know, and six, seven years goes by, eight years goes by. And they're still, you know, we didn't have any kind of interaction as a family on a vacation kind of thing, you know, it became very hard to do things. Yeah, of course. But the one thing I saw through videos of Corey and pictures of Corey throughout his life is even though you guys didn't, he was always smiling and he was always happy. So that's, yes. that said something about him, but also about you guys and how you guys cared for him and how he was loved. And, you know, he's just always smiling. I always tell people that I got my strength from Corey because mm-hmm. he he fought this he fought juvenile Huntington's with a smile on his face and I mm-hmm. used to look at him and say Corey it's okay to get mad it's okay to cry or scream or just get angry but Corey that just wasn't in Corey's nature he was just yeah too happy. <laughs> And, yeah. and, you know, I yeah. find myself oh, – I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Terry. I, I find myself at times thinking back to, um, you know, like Stacy had mentioned, we got called into the school because Corey was giving hugs to everybody, and they considered that somewhat inappropriate. And I kind of wonder often if he kind of internally knew that his time here was not going to be as long as he – he expected to be so he was spreading his love and his affection toward anybody he could to make an impact mm-hmm. on the world and you know beyond the impact that he has through the Huntington's you know and I often find wonder if that's why he hugs so much and you know if I could share an interesting thing little man would always yeah. do 
this thing with uh, myself and Stacy, he would say, Mom, Dad, two things. And then he would say, the first thing is, can I have a cookie? And the second thing was always, I love you. And it was all the time he would just always say, hey, Dad, two things, you know. And and I'd say, what, little man? And he would say, um, one, can we go to the store because I have money. I want to buy something. And two, I love you. And it, number two was always I love you. And he never, never didn't did not tell us that he loved us. And I think that's one of the hardest things that myself and Stacy actually have to uh, deal with is the fact that we didn't, we didn't hear that, you know, toward the end and weren't able to hear that from him. And that's, that, yeah, that leaves an empty hole. It really does. But what an amazing blessing that you guys had Corey in your life. That's, I mean, he was a gift for sure. Um, yeah. Well, so so Stacy, we're gonna. I'm gonna talk to you about what what did you find was the biggest challenge? And actually, both of you guys could probably answer this in maybe different ways. But what was the biggest challenge you found? I think the biggest challenge um, for me was realizing how rare this disease was. Um, When we had our first appointment with the um, Huntington's Clinic at Emory, it wasn't just the appointment with the neurologist. It was an appointment with the neurologist and the social worker. And and, um, the social worker is handing me a stack of books and pamphlets and paperwork and information and luckily we had an awesome social worker um, that sent that information to the school but it was taking Tori to the dentist and having the dentist and the gastroenterologist and all these other specialists that said whoa hold on I can't treat your son until I do some research and that was really frustrating um, for us because we knew our son had this problem and we wanted him to get treatment you know, as quickly as possible. But then again, I had to respect the doctors in saying, whoa, wait a minute, I've, I've never heard of this in a child. Let me do some research because they were wanting to make sure they did things safely. Um, especially when it came to putting Corey under anesthesia. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, that, that was the biggest challenge. And then I would say, um, I would say there were other challenges. It was not just that, but the, the, the more the disease took over his body, the less I was able to work. And luckily, Carrie and I had family that stepped up and said, um, we're here to help. What what do you need from us? And my grandmother retired when Corey was a baby to be a stay-at-home grandma because um, she would not hear of her grandbabies or her great-grandbabies going to daycare. So um, even around the time of the diagnosis, she was keeping them after school until I until I got home from work, um, and I often kid around and say I I continued working up until Corey passed only because my grandmother wouldn't let me stay home, and she wouldn't <laughs> she would have been here regardless whether I was working or not. Um, but but getting work to understand that. You know, no, I can't work overtime because, like I said earlier with the spoon theory, I had I had to come home and take care of a child. You know, no, I'm not mm-hmm. taking call because I have a son that wakes me up one to five times a night. You know, somebody call me for something stupid, they're going to get a very irate person, <laughs> you know, not the sweet, loving nurse right. I'm supposed to be. Um, sure. And what's sad is, um, you know, I needed a lot of time off to take Corey to appointments, and 
I had a supervisor at one time that you know didn't understand why I couldn't work and do my son's appointments. But a year later, her her husband was diagnosed with cancer, and she was trying to do both. and And then she understood. Um, mm-hmm. But it was. I often tell people the first probably two years we took Corey to these appointments, it was always, it was more of an emotional drain than it was a physical because we would always go hoping to hear good news, hoping to hear that something had been approved and it was going to help. And that being let down every appointment was was mm-hmm. physically and emotionally and spiritually draining. Sure. Yeah. And, um, Terry, do you want to add to anything to that? Well, no, Stacy pretty much summed that up, to be honest with you. You know, that's pretty much what it was just a roller coaster. That's all I can, that's how I can kind of categorize it. It was just a roller coaster of ups and downs and ups and downs. And, and, you know, we had, honestly, we had more downs than ups and, you know, but, and, and it really, it goes back to the education and the whole educating the public, educating your caretakers, educating all of the, the, the medical professionals, regardless of what capacity they're in, is educating them on the course of Huntington's. I mean, we always, always would say, you know, this is what needs to be done. And they would medically come back and say, no, we can't do this. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. It has to be done this way. And, you know, there was a lot of constant battles with the, and, and, and not, not, you know, harsh battles by any means, but we were battling to get, to have a voice, to have our voice heard. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's the, that's the big thing that needs, that's the most important thing that needs to happen. And it was right. a challenge yep. on our on our relationship as well. I mean, the stress oh, yeah. took its toll oh, on I'm sure. both of us too. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, you know, we were snapping at each other and, and fighting. And and Terry and I actually did go to counseling um, for probably six months, you know, individually and uh, as a couple. And. Yeah we realized that uh, through our counselor that we had to learn how to talk to each other again. We had to learn to say, I'm having a bad Corey day or I've had a bad day at work or, and not just. Yeah, this is something that, that we need to talk day. about. Mm-hmm. I think this is something that a lot of people don't talk about is, you know, um, how I've had to go through counseling for our relationship and caring for a child who's sick. And, you know, a lot of times with HD, not just JHD, but HD, when HD is a lot of times parents bring their adult children back into their home as well. And um, and I, I don't think we talk about this topic. That's really, you know, Stacey, you just brought up something that I think we need to, we need to talk about um, definitely as a community that, that we all kind of have, that you're not alone, that we all kind of have these problems, you know. Right. Um, or a lot of and people we had have problems. these problems. Yeah, yeah we had had problems before his diagnosis as well, just like any other normal couple. Sure. That uh, we had sure. worked through. But then when Corey was diagnosed with the juvenile Huntington's, um, that really added a lot more strain. Um, in fact, right before Corey was, or after Corey was diagnosed, um, I actually looked at Terry and told him, I said, you knew Corey was special needs when you met me because of his premature birth. I said, you never signed on to care for a dying child. I said, we've been having problems. I won't blame you if you want to leave. So I, I gave him an out. And... He he basically cussed me out in the middle of the parking deck of the hospital and told me I was crazy and <laughs> there we was no way he was leaving the court. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. His son and, and yeah. made me feel an inch small. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, after we sort of got to maybe a year or so later, we got Corey to what we considered a stable point. Um, 
and and Corey was all we could ever talk about without arguing. Um, that I looked at Terry and I said, "Okay, I said we if we are gonna if we are not gonna be a statistic, then we need to go to counseling." Mm-hmm. And I said, it, "You know, either you can go with me or not, but I'm going. I would appreciate it if you go with me." And so he did. And uh, like I said, it 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 took us both going as a couple and individually to realize that, um, you know, we each had our own issues that we needed to work on within ourselves. And Yep. That's, um, and then having a child who's sick, that that's, it's, well, you guys, you guys survived it and man, you guys are an amazing couple and amazing parents, um, for sure together. You guys are a team. Um, I want to kind of before because we um, Lenise hasn't come on yet. I think we actually just um, that uh, we just dropped off um, Terry and Stacy, but they'll call right back in. Um, we had uh, Lenise hasn't come on the show yet. She actually is caring for a child right now. Um, so I'm gonna let, we're gonna talk about some stuff we were gonna talk about at the end of the show, and then uh, when Lenise comes on, we will we will speak to her. But she is not on quite yet. But Stacy, um, I kind of wanted to talk to you about hospice because hospice is something that a lot of people obviously are scared of and find it scary and don't want to talk about hospice, especially I'm sure if it's a child. Um, but so I want I want to kind of talk to you about hospice and what your journey was with hospice with Corey? Well, I think for us, um, or for me, I I can't speak for Terry on this one. Um, For me, being a home health nurse, I knew that hospice didn't mean he was going anywhere anytime soon. Um, And then I think, too, it was the way the doctor put it to us when he made the recommendation um, Corey had been on disability and then because I was working came off a of disability and um, Corey was about to turn 18 and the doctor knew we had been fighting for two years to get Corey on disability and the way he put it to us was he looked at me and said you're tired you're stressed. Let let us get you some much needed help. And that was mm-hmm. the way that it was put to us. And being a nurse, I knew that with hospice, um, because our insurance didn't cover everything, so we still had bills piling up out the wazoo um, mm-hmm. over these two years. And it was to the point where Corey was in diapers by that point. Um, so instead of me having to purchase diapers, I knew that hospice would cover that expense. I knew that they would, you know, pick up where the insurance left off basically. And so, so I, I had told the doctor, we, you know, to let me think about it. And I, and I knew it was because I needed to talk to Terry and educate him about what hospice was. Mm-hmm. And and I told him, I said, well, let the nurse come out and do the, the start or see what they have to say. And I, I, and I think I had to reassure Terry 10 times, Corey's not going anywhere anytime soon mm-hmm. before he was comfortable letting the, the hospice nurse come. And the hospice nurse came, and she evaluated Corey, and again, she admitted that she had not heard of juvenile Huntington's disease until Corey's referral, that she actually had to do some research. And at this point, you know, that's that was nothing new for us. We were used to it. Right. And um, when she left, I said, give us some time to think about it. Because even at the time, I thought, like I said, Corey wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. And Terry's fear was that they were going to come in and start morphine and that he would be mm-hmm. gone, you know, in no time. And I made it very clear 
to the hospice nurse that no one would administer morphine unless it were me. And um, mm. that, that 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 was going to be my call, my decision, and nobody else's. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, something that people need to realize is when you go on hospice, you're still in control. They are just there to guide you and help you through the process. Um, right. Because she did try to give him morphine one day when I was not here. And my father was here and told me about it, and I was enraged. Not with my, not with my dad, but with the nurse. And mm-hmm. um, he was like, well, she said there's no side effects. So I went on my computer and pulled some stuff up and printed it out and highlighted it and gave it to him for the next time. And he was like, wow. He's like, I didn't realize it could do this. He says, I could have killed him. And I said, yes. So my dad felt really bad after he read up on the morphine and and promised. He said, okay, yes. You know, he says, I'm glad I didn't give it. You know, you had told us that was your call. Um, I even made sure my grandmother read through the information and knew no one was to give morphine. And uh, actually surprised myself um, that I was able to give it when it was time. Um, Mm -hmm. I knew Corey was in pain. I knew he was suffering. And I I, I knew he had been tired for a while. Um, But but with hospice, um, I think for me it was not as scary because I knew the benefits right. of hospice. And yes, you know, right. being able to call the nurse and saying, oh, I only have two days worth of seizure meds. And then them being delivered to my door later that night instead of me getting giving them the last dose and, oh, crap, it's, I've got 10 minutes to make it to the pharmacy before it closes. So I have his morning dose. I did not realize right. until after a few months of him being on hospice how stressed I was um, mm-hmm. having the bath aid come in two days a week um, to give him a bath during the week really took a lot off me because I knew my grandmother wasn't trying to hurt herself giving him a bath and it wasn't stressing me, you know, to, Oh, I'm too tired from work. I can't do this today. Um, knowing that he was, um, being taken care of there, and and he, of course, he um, loved his hospice aid. She would put him to sleep every time she came, um, <laughs> giving him a bath. Um, but I'm for, sure she loved but for Terry, Terry, yeah. but Terry, um, it was very scary for him, I think, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the rest of the family. Um, before I made the call to ha- have him actually admitted, yes, I had to sit everyone down and 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 exp- and explain to them my thought process first. And mm-hmm. once I explained my thought process of you know, like the doctor said, it was giving me some much needed help. Right. Um, yeah. And it actually. And how helped. long was Corey? Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, it's fine. Um, it actually helped mine and Terry's relationship um, because oh, we, yeah. you know, I wasn't fighting his head off when I was stressed out. But Corey was on on hospice um, two more months. He would have been on hospice for four years. Four years. See, that's what people need to know. Yeah. Yeah. And at one time, one nurse had come in and wanted to take him off a of hospice. And he had a doctor that came once every three months. And the doctor had come in and said, no, we are going to until he no longer needs us. And that day will be the day he expires. She said, because, she says, and she, she was honest with me. She told me, she says, we've never had a juvenile Huntington's case, and I don't want to miss anything. She says, we want to learn from your child. So that yeah. was one of the benefits of 
him be a, a rare benefit of him being a first. Guys, you got the services, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and I think I think you're I think you make a good point, and um, that we all think hospice is means my loved one's going to die in a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. But this right here just shows that, you know, Corey was almost on hospice for four years and getting services, and that's what hospice is for. And I think that we as a community need to um, to understand that that, that is um, a service that is there for us to, to relieve some yeah. of the um, – for, for, for juvenile Huntington's and Huntington's to relieve some of the um, – the stress of everyday life. And I know, um, you know, recently my, my most people, I don't talk very openly about this, but recently my husband went into a nursing home and, um, and uh, just because I'm, it's a new for me. So I'm kind of going through the grieving process of losing him, but uh, to a nurse taking him out of our home. But um, I know that the relief you feel when they're getting really good care and you can just be, you still are their caregiver, but you can also become, do you know with with for my situation i'd be i've been able to become kind of his wife again where i i don't have to worry about his care as much as i can just be like maybe you i don't know if you guys thought that where you could just be kind of his parent at times because his care was kind of helped with you know taking care of it when the hospice was nurse was there exactly it was the 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 aide would come in to give him a bath and 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 she was a young girl and of course Corey flirts with every woman he meets. Um, <laughs> so it was, you know, okay, I'll leave you alone with your girlfriend and, and it give me a minute to do the dishes or read a, you know, a sure. chapter in a book um, and left me with the fun stuff to do. You know, it was yeah. after his bath, you know, I could sit down and enjoy watching cartoons with him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, And it's unfortunate that, yeah, um, a lot of doctors and all will wait too late to put people on hospice so that they don't reap those those benefits of hospice. Um, right. Like you said, there are people on hospice for just a few days or weeks or months. Um, but having had hospice in our family for four years, um, they're still family. You know, they, they came into our home, and um, when I came out to California for the Huntington's Walk, um, they did not have a respite person in this area um, that could help Terry over the weekend. Um, and his aide volunteered. She was like, I'll do it. And um, she actually did it on her own time because she cared so much for Corey. And, you know, I just, I couldn't have asked for a better group of people. Yeah. Hospice people are definitely. Um, So I think that uh, I was, I was telling when you dropped off, um, Corey, I was telling the listeners that, that Lannis was, is actually with a patient. So we may, um, I want to ask you two both another question, and we may wrap up the show. We may have her on, see if she could come on um, again to talk about hospice. But she may she may not make it on the show, which we understand that she's caring for someone, and that comes first um, before anything else. So, but I want to I want to leave you guys with a couple questions. Um, one, Terry, uh, this is I want you to just tell me about your favorite moment with Corey. <laughs> Okay, well, I have a couple, I guess. Um, uh, it was when Corey was really, uh, this is pre-diagnosis of Huntington's, and we were, um, he used to come into the bathroom and watch me shave. And at the time, he had really long, curly, golden, golden locks of hair. And this is um, <laughs> kind of funny because I would shave, and then it, after I got done shaving, I would run my hands over my cheeks and go, some moves. And then so little man would, he would always reach up and grab it and, and put his hands on my cheeks and go, smooth. And I said, yeah. I said, so, and so what happened, one year we, <laughs> one year we got him a, uh, a Mickey Mouse shaver. So he could stand in the bathroom with me and shave while I shaved. Well, 
one time he got a hold of my shaver. And, of course, he didn't have hair on his cheeks, so he decided to take it right down the top of his head and gave himself a a reverse mohawk. And he comes up to me and he goes, smooth. And so that's one of the fondest memories that I have of Little Man when he was very, very young. And it broke Stacy's heart because she had to take him to the, the barber and get his beautiful golden lock shaved off his head. And that never came that back. That never came back. And it just yeah, that was one of the things that broke her heart. Yeah, the baby locks, correct. So that was one of my oh. fondest memories. But if I could, if I got time to share another one real quick, this is something yeah, that I actually absolutely. shared. At um, this is the best story I think one of the best stories we have. For years, anytime we would go anywhere, and it would be whether it was to Walmart or to the park or whatever, when he was just a little kid, we. We'd bring him home and we'd change him and we'd pull his, uh, we'd pull his, take his pants and start unloading his pants and every time he would have rocks in his pockets and and so you know time would go on and we would always ask him little man what what is this about this rocks you know we keep finding rocks in your in your pockets and he looked at us with the most serious face and he would say dad. Better to have a rock in your pocket than one in your shoe. And I just fell out. I just said, okay, you have a good point there, little man. That is better to have a rock in your pocket than one in your shoe. So um, at his visitation um, and his funeral service, I shared that story with everybody, and we had bought rocks, and we set them outside the chapel. And so we... I told that story and I said, you know, that if anybody wanted to rock, they were more than welcome to have a rock because it would always remind them of Corey. And still to this day, um, a year and a half later, we constantly have people coming up to us and not saying anything. They would just walk up and pull a rock out of their pocket. So, yeah, that that is the most, the most absolute fondest memory I have. And um yeah. And I and I remember you saying to I think you said it to me one time, you said I think he was getting the rocks like just for all the places he went, you know. Um Yes. And and yeah, yeah. and that's that that was a funny thing. Yeah, he would all the places that he went. So I mean anytime we would go anywhere, if we went to the beach he would bring one back from the beach. If we went to Stone Mountain, he would bring back one from Stone Mountain. If we went to McDonald's, he'd bring one back from McDonald's. It didn't matter. Anywhere he went, he always had a rock in his pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, and then Stacy, we're going to wrap up the show with this final question. And um, can you leave, because I know that hospice, we're going to bring this up again, but um, some words of wisdom uh, for another parent whose child is coming towards their time that their child is going to need hospice or coming to the end of this journey. What words of wisdom do you have for those parents? Um, if if a doctor is recommending hospice, then then you need to be open to the recommendation. Um, let them come in, talk to you, talk to their family. Um, because they have so many other, um, there's palliative care and there's hospice. And palliative is sort of between the home health and hospice, which is sort of where Corey was for the first, I guess, two years. Um, and Lenise is actually the second nurse we had. Um, the first nurse that tried to give him morphine, I had asked her to leave and asked for another nurse. But something that the moms have to realize is pediatric hospice is rare. Um, As a nurse, I only know of two other agencies close to my area, and one of them would not come out because we were 
too far, we were too far out, and the other one um, had limited staff and was unable to take him at that time. So if you get a recommendation and they're willing to on a case of um, pediatric hospice, you need to you need to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to take advantage of all of the the help that it's going to give you. The, um, the not just financially, the because hospice covers a hundred percent of everything. Our hospice here um, is a nonprofit, um, so anything that's not covered by Medicaid or insurance, they pay for. So whether it's tube right. feedings, oxygen, uh, diapers, um, pads for the bed, um, I mean, they, they cover it all. Um, yeah. And, and like I said, it took, a, it took a big financial strain off of us, and it took a big emotional and physical strain off of us. And yeah. like I said, Corey lacked two months being on hospice for four years. So it's not like the hospice is the end. You know, it doesn't mean the end is near. It just means you have help. And then the the day Corey passed, she was here. You know, his nurse came in and she was here that morning and, and when it happened, she was, she was here, you know, that evening and, she stayed with us and talked with us, you know, for a while to make, you know, to make sure we were going to be okay, as, as okay as yeah. we could be. Um, and then they provided uh, counseling for a year. Um, they mm-hmm. also have um, a summer camp for grieving families um, that's free of charge. And it's just to go and be with other grieving families. So there's there's a lot of benefits. Um, not only did we have the nurse and the aide, but we had a chaplain that came to see us once once a month. Um, and she wouldn't just visit with me and Terry. Um, they, I also had them visit with when my dad was going to be here or when my grandmother was going to be here, so that they could talk and get the support that they needed. Um, we also right. had a social worker um, that came and checked on us as far as community resources and and just counseling. Um, so we had four years of counseling through through hospice, um, not just us, but um, for our caregivers and our daughter and um, even my my best friend who I've been friends with for probably 20 years, um, their, you know, it, it's open to their family as well um, and her children who have have really struggled with, with Corey's loss as well. So it's not just right. for the individual that's on hospice. It's actually a good family um, benefit. Right. And so, I think, yeah, I think people really, yeah, just, it's, it's amazing what all they do. And I think people don't know that. I think people don't know that definitely what all hospice has to offer. So, um, but we are coming, we're coming to the show, coming, coming to an end, but so we, but let's try, um, I know that um, Stacy is dear friends with um, Lanise. So we'll definitely see if we can follow up with her and find a time when she could come on and talk about hospice. Um, like I said, she was with a patient today, so um, it's, you know, obviously she probably is caring for someone that needs her right now. So, but I think um, I think we can wrap up the show, but I definitely want to give a sh- big, huge plug to our next Education Day in Atlanta on June 3rd, and um, it is hosted by Help for HD, and Stacy Sargent is coordinating the day for us. So everyone out in the Atlanta area, please come out, join us. We are going to have a great day. We have great speakers. We're going to have great food. Um, it's 
at the um, Embassy Suites in Atlanta, and it's going to be a great day. We're going to have uh, have fun and, and learn a lot that day from our speakers. Uh, Lenise will also be at that day talking about hospice, um, as well as um, a neurologist and a genetics counselor, and we're going to have panels, and there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of education going on. So I definitely want to throw that plug out. And am I missing anything about that day, Stacey? No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, registration's at 9. Excited for it to get here and see my HD family. <laughs> yep, yeah, we're excited to come see you. And it's completely free. So um, if yeah. you're in that area, please come join us. Um, you can email me at katie at helpforhd.org if you need more information. You could email Stacy at stacy at helpforhd.org if you need more information. Um, and... Um, we will we will hopefully see you guys there. Uh, for now, I think we can wrap the show. Next week, join us for Chronically Smiling. That's going to be coming on. It's a new organization that is offering care packages for fan, uh, for caregivers that are caring for um, individuals who are chronically ill. So, until then, everyone have a safe night. Bye. Bye. Calling all parents. Get up to 50% off all of Old Navy's amazing kids and baby styles right now. Hurry in for $2 flip-flops, $4 tees and tanks, $6 graphic tees, and $8 dresses and boy shorts at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. High fashion, Old Navy. Valid 5-1-5-9. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.